You've reached the CNA Newsroom. CNA Newsroom. CNA Newsroom. CNA Newsroom. Welcome to CNA Newsroom. You're listening to CNA Newsroom, the podcast that brings you great Catholic stories each week. My name is Kate Vike. I produce this podcast, and this week I'm co-hosting with CNA's Deputy Editor-in-Chief, Michelle LaRosa. Hello. Hi, Michelle. (laughs) JD is in D.C. He's hanging out with Ed. He's going to a conference and just generally doing things. So here we are. And this week, we're talking all about St. Joseph the Worker. We celebrate the feast day of St. Joseph um, in March, but we also celebrate the feast of St. Joseph the Worker, May 1st, which is this week. So, Michelle, what is that all about? Yeah, so the the main feast of St. Joseph, March 19th, that's been around for centuries, but the feast of St. Joseph the Worker is more recent. It was established in 1955 by Pope Pius XII, and what happened was the communists had taken May 1st, May Day, as their Labor Day, sort of a secular celebration of what work meant to them. And so Pope Pius, by establishing this Feast of St. Joseph the Worker on the same day, was responding with a patron, uh, an example of holiness in work, and just kind of restoring a proper understanding of human dignity and the dignity of work, what what the proper role of work should be in our lives. So in honor of St. Joseph the Worker, we're going to bring you the story of a Catholic nonprofit out of New Jersey that is named after St. Joseph, and it's helping thousands of people become first-time homeowners, which is pretty cool. But first, our producer, Jonah, will take us to New Mexico to investigate the mystery of the stairs of St. Joseph. Santa Fe, New Mexico Territory, 1873. The Archdiocese of Santa Fe had only just been created the year before. In this sparse desert setting, four decades before New Mexico even became a state, the Sisters of Loretto began work on their new chapel. Richard Lindsley has worked as the curator for the chapel, which is now a museum, since 1991. The chapel was built by a French architect, Projectus Molay. He worked on it between 1873 and 1878. He patterned it after Saint-Chapelle in Paris. It's my belief that Projectus Malay wanted to put in a circular staircase right from the beginning, but apparently was not able to get anyone in 1877 to come all the way from France to help him do that. So when Moulet completed the chapel in April 1878, there was a big problem. There was no way to get up to the choir loft. Neither the sisters nor the students had any way to get up there at all. The only access would have been a ladder, and that would have been unseemly for nuns and and girls in their long dresses at that time. To make matters worse, Moulet, the architect, very soon after, died. He was apparently a very temperamental man, so apparently no one bugged him about the lack of a staircase before his death. The sisters asked the local carpenters to go ahead and build one, um, but they, the local carpenters failed. They did not know how to do it. So the sisters tried a different tactic, a novena to St. Joseph. After all, he was the saint to whom the chapel was dedicated. Maybe he could help. On the last day of the novena, this man rides in off the desert on a donkey, 
which is unheard of really, and offered to build the staircase. Well, they took it as an answer to their prayer, so they hired him on the spot. The stranger was very reclusive and insisted on being left alone when working on the new staircase. This he did for three months, and then... Vanished without being paid. What the master craftsman left behind. Breathtaking. A 20-foot-high wooden spiral staircase that completes two 360-degree turns. There are 33 steps to the top. And the sisters thought the 33 steps were reminiscent of the fact of our Lord Jesus living 33 years. Most notably, it lacks a central column, a feature of most spiral staircases, and thus can make you do a double-take as you try to figure out how this thing is standing at all, especially nearly 150 years after its construction. This led the sisters to believe that the mysterious carpenter was none other than St. Joseph himself. So that's the story, but is it really a miracle or just a cool piece of woodworking? The staircase is made from at least 94 pieces of wood held together with wooden pegs, no nails or glue, and it's flexible, so it can take a surprising amount of weight. I've worked here 42 years. Only twice did engineers tell me that they they understood it. All the others have said to me they, they, they were baffled or they're amazed or they gave theories, but nothing conclusive. The physics of the structure are so baffling, a physicist even wrote a scientific paper about the staircase, Dr. David Tomanek. Oh, uh, that's me, yes. And yeah. I talked to him too. I was intrigued by the staircase and also by the statement that apparently no engineer could understand the stability of the staircase. This was a challenge to me, of course. While it's a very unusual staircase, Dr. Tominick said the design can be understood through modern science. But that doesn't make it any less miraculous. The chapel and the staircase indeed are miraculous, but miracles often do not escape the understanding of exact sciences, including physics. To describe the shape of the stairs, he used the analogy of a coiled telephone cord, which of course is anything but rigid. The staircase is rigid. What makes it rigid? It is that wood under compression, you cannot compress it more. Using this principle as a guiding construction principle has enabled the constructor to fabricate a very rigid staircase that would support the weight of uh, many people there's a famous photo of an entire choir, at least 18 people, standing on the steps at the same time. We estimated the weight that the staircase could support, but we see a very general analogy to all spirals in the world, including the DNA. The DNA molecule is only one ten millionth of an inch in diameter. Two intertwined chains forming a framework like a long spiral staircase. But much more exciting is a general idea of helices being sometimes rigid, sometimes flexible, and tunable in this way. One thing that's undeniable, he says, is that the architect had a remarkable grasp of the physics of the structure. People believed they would help the staircase, 
by anchoring it in the wall. And some people on the web have said, oh, look, it's anchored by steel in the walls. I have seen the anchors. They are non-functional. And as a matter of fact, they caused cracks in the staircase. So whoever came after the constructor did not have the correct, uh, the correct understanding. And whatever has been added after this has been for the worse rather than for the better. The original design was perfect. Even with a modern understanding of physics and architecture, there are still factors that make the staircase a puzzle for many modern architects. I would look to my structural engineer and say, okay, what's your idea? <laughs> At this point, um, I don't know. Gayla Bechtel is an award-winning architect based in Santa Fe. How do, you, how do you make a stair like that that's that tall and has that many turns and, you know, and has, it's that thin, it's, you know, it's very, it's very small. It's great to, it's great to see the ingenuity that exists in the world and existed in the world. And so I guess we can take hope that um, there's a way to do it. You know, you just have to find the way, you know, but there's a way to do it because somebody did it you know, without a whole lot of tools. There's another mystery related to its construction, too. The wood. The sisters went to the only lumberyard in town to at least pay for the materials. And the lumberyard said the man never got any materials from them at all. And there's no record of anyone in Santa Fe ever saying that they saw him bringing materials into the chapel. The sisters certainly didn't know where it came from. So I gave a core sample of the wood to a U.S. naval scientist he researched the wood I gave him for 15 months, and he determined it to be a form of Piscaeus spruce. But he told me that's a soft wood, and the cell structure in this wood was so dense, tight, and square that it gave it the strength of a hardwood. He said to me the closest he found to it was a tree that grows only in Alaska. And then, to his surprise, he said this wood did not match up with any other Piscea spruce like it on earth. The wooden construction gives the stairs some flexibility, which actually helps with its strength. In 1887, to correct what they thought was a weakness, they added a pin against a column and two against the wall. But all that did was add stress points to the staircase and ultimately did damage. The final mystery to mention is perhaps the most intriguing of them all. The identity of the master craftsman who built the staircase. Many throughout the years who have claimed to be the architect have been thoroughly debunked. Janice Donahue is a historian in Roswell who's explored some of the possible culprits. She told me about an interesting character named Francois Rocher, known to the locals as Frenchie. He was a bit of a recluse and built himself a stone hut on the side of a steep mountain. A historian that researched Frenchie closely said she believed he was part of a secret society of highly skilled craftsmen and artisans called the Compagnons. The way that he lived his life and how he built his house and his rock wall and everything on the side of a steep, steep mountain, he had to be an amazing craftsman or have some kind of knowledge that uh, is beyond the normal man, <laughs> I think. That is just a theory, but I think it's a good theory. I think it's very possible he could have been the one that maybe he did have a purpose for coming here. Frenchy Rocher was later murdered in southern New Mexico, where he had moved. 
Rocher's obituary, printed in the Santa Fe, New Mexican newspaper, described him as the builder of the staircase, the Loretto Chapel. Case closed, right? You can print anything in an obituary. You can say your grandmother was the Queen of England, and they'll print it. They don't, newspapers don't do historical research on obituaries. Plus, the mother superior of the nuns told her superiors that she didn't know who built the staircase. The only physical description they had of him was an elderly man with a gray beard. Not so much now, but in the old days, St. Joseph was often depicted as an elderly man uh, out of deference for our Catholic belief in the perpetual virginity of Mary. That's why the sisters thought it was St. Joseph. I've had Protestant fundamentalists think maybe it was Jesus. I had one Jewish woman tell me she thought it was an angel. And among the secularists, and they say it was the German, say it's a German, and the Frenchmen say it's a Frenchman. So um, basically, it is still a mystery for the reasons I gave you as to historically who built it. The chapel has since been deconsecrated as a Catholic church. There was a girls' school there until 1968 when the city condemned the building. The sisters couldn't keep up with repairs after World War II and the Great Depression. They were forced to sell the property. But a developer from Oklahoma bought it, tore down nine of the condemned buildings, and restored the chapel. It's been a museum and a wedding venue ever since. Whether or not it was St. Joseph or just some talented Frenchman who built the famous stairs, no one denies that they're a sight to behold. I definitely believe it was an answer to prayer and that divine providence was involved in the building of this staircase. And my personal opinion is I'll find out the details on the other side. For CNA Newsroom, I'm Jonah McKeown. Hey everyone, my name is Mary Farrow, formerly Mary Rizak, but if you follow me on Twitter, at Mary Rizak Farrow, you probably know that I recently got married. When I'm hanging out with my super cool husband at home, we like to listen to CNA Newsroom, because even though I work at CNA, it can be hard to keep track of all the news we cover. Plus, I love the inside look it gives me at the people and reporters behind the stories. I used to have an iPhone, and if I still did, I'd catch CNA Newsroom on iTunes. But now I have an Android, so I listen to CNA Newsroom on Stitcher or Google Podcasts. Find it anywhere you get your podcasts. And as a nonprofit Catholic journalist, the price of CNA Newsroom is always right. It's free. So pop online, hit subscribe, send us a stellar review, and let us know what topics you'd like to hear more about. And now back to the show. Hey, welcome back. So for our next segment, our reporter Kevin Jones shares the story of a Catholic nonprofit that is doing some pretty cool work in Camden, New Jersey. Here's Kevin. Camden, New Jersey has a reputation for being a city that has seen better times. The city looks over Philadelphia from the east side of the Delaware River. Its 74,000 people suffer high unemployment and high crime. In 2012, it ranked as the poorest city in the U.S. But a Catholic nonprofit in East Camden says it's found the recipe to help the working poor become homeowners. Is this how Camden will turn around? My name is Kevin Jones. I'm a reporter with Catholic News Agency, and here's the story of the St. Joseph's Carpenter Society. The exciting part is when we hand over keys to a family, 
a lot of them look at us like they just never felt like that was going to happen. When they actually hold the keys in their hand, that, that really signifies something different. This is Pilar Hogan. She's executive director of the St. Joseph's Carpenter Society. The nonprofit has been at work in Camden since 1985. The founder of St. Joseph's Carpenter Society um, is Monsignor Robert T. McDermott. All of us would absolutely know him as, as Father Bob. Decades after he grew up in East Camden, Father Bob returned to his home neighborhood to find a very different place. He returned to uh, his childhood parish where he had been a kid in the area and 35 years later was named as pastor of the parish. And I think he sort of looked around and noticed that, oh my, this is not the same neighborhood that he had such great memories of growing up in. And he looked and saw, I think there were right across the street from the church, the four or five abandoned, burned out houses. And at the same time as he was looking at these abandoned houses, he was also having neighbors from his parish come and approach him to say that they needed places to live. And he was sort of struck by that completely being at odds where people needed homes and yet here are these houses that obviously need people. Uh, And so he set out in 1985 to be able to change that and we started working one house at a time. You know, does anyone know a plumber? Does anyone know anything about how to buy a house from from HUD or from anyone else? Father McDermott's launch of the St. Joseph's Carpenter Society has now grown into a major project. Its programs include homeownership education and counseling, targeted real estate development, and the construction of affordable housing. The typical clientele is poor, with a household income ranging from $20,000 to $35,000 per year. Their clients are mainly Latino, but many come from Camden's African-American community or its small South Asian communities. Rosie Figueora is Director of Counseling at the St. Joseph's Carpenter Society. She says her clients are very dedicated people who just need help and good advice to get out of renting and into homeowning. Most of the people here are very poor people who live paycheck by paycheck, who rent and pay high rents, and who pay their bills on a, uh, on a monthly basis. Most of them are on a very, like, uh, very consistently. When they come here, they realize that they have to make changes in order to meet their goals. I think our typical client is a very hardworking, dedicated, uh, small family. All of them are working. And what we're seeing is that while they are, while they're working, they're not necessarily banking as you and I would. They're not necessarily spending money in the same places that you and I would. As our teachers sort of sit down and and work with people one-on-one or in these group settings, they are more easily uh, learning from each other than necessarily always learning from the teacher. It's not always easy to become a homeowner. Some clients take 15 years or more to get to the point where they can buy a home. They often face financial difficulties and need help learning how to save, how to budget, and how to repair damaged credit. Those are things that we help them address when they come here. Some Camden families are renting at very high prices, but they live in very poor conditions. We had one family who recently purchased a home. They were paying to what I thought was a very high rent. Uh, I believe when we moved them into their home, they were paying two-thirds of what they were paying um, for the rent. 
But the conditions in the apartment were so bad that this young mother and young father took their two kids and spent the entire day and most of the evening in their car. The kids did their homework in the car, they ate dinner in the car, they did as much as they could in the car because the house, the apartment that they were renting was in such bad shape and had, you know, vermin and all sorts of stuff that they wanted to limit the amount of time that their kids were in that were in that environment. She couldn't have been more pleased with the fact that she was now controlling her life in a much better way and the lives of her children. So she was still working just like she had been before, but now the house was hers and she could keep it clean and she could do everything that she needed to do to provide that safe environment for her kids. And that To us, that's just sort of invaluable to be able to know that this woman was all smiles. The fact that now they have their home, that they have a backyard for the kids to play in, for them to barbecue. The mother is now back in school because she wants to to further her education, which she wasn't able to do before. The father just got a promotion at work. The happiness and their goals are kind of stretching now. They aren't the only ones to find happiness. The staff at St. Joseph's Carpenter Society say they too find joy in their work. It's like gold. I feel, uh, I really feel like I, we have been able to accomplish their goal. We've been able to kind of make the impossible possible for them. They never saw it as a possibility, so it was a far-fetched idea for them. But when we get to that day, seeing their faces and seeing how they are Sometimes they start crying, sometimes they run out and start screaming on the, on the street. Since Father McDermott started St. Joseph's Carpenter Society more than three decades ago, it has graduated 3,000 people through its education program. It has helped with 450 home repairs and sold close to 1,000 homes. Once people buy, they rarely leave. 85% of these homeowners still live in the home they bought with the help of a nonprofit that's named for St. Joseph. For CNA Newsroom, I'm Kevin Jones. I really loved how in that segment, Kevin really highlighted the fulfillment and joy that people get from owning their first home. You just bought a home. Has it been like two years now? Three years. Okay. And you actually prayed to St. Joseph to get your house. Yeah. So my husband and I have actually a very special devotion to St. Joseph on this feast day. And, you know, it started several years ago when we were trying to decide if we were going to be buying or renting when we first got married. I had been looking for a house for about three years at that point unsuccessfully. Because the Denver market is insane. (laughs) One of the most difficult housing markets in the country. Um, And, you know, we were were just trying to figure out what to do. So we actually prayed to St. Joseph and we gave him a May 1st deadline since this was, was one of his feast days. And just said, we need to know whether we're going to be renting or buying by May 1st. And so we actually were looking for months and months and we ended up going under contract on a house on May 1st. Uh, which we were just so excited about. And then when the inspection came along, we found 
huge amounts of damage to the foundation and roof, like, you know, six figures of damage um, that we were not going to be able to afford to repair. So we ended up having to drop the contract. But we took that as a sign that, okay, you know, St. Joseph is, is letting us know here that we should just rent, get an apartment to start out. Well, then a year later, we were trying to decide if we should renew our lease on the apartment or whether we should start looking to buy again. So we told St. Joseph, okay, May 1st, deadline again here, we need to know. And we, at that point, had been talking for, we talked for about five months about potentially buying. And that time, we ended up closing on our house the last business day before May 1st. May 1st was a weekend that year. And the final business day before then, we were closed, we signed, we we got the house. So, you know, we were we were just really grateful for St. Joseph's intercession there and just kind of in a special way. Um, we've always celebrated May 1st in a special way. Well, Michelle, thanks again for co-hosting with me this week. Guys, JD will be back next week. We're pretty sure. <laughs> <laughs> CNA Newsroom is a production of Catholic News Agency, a service of EWTN News. I'm your host this week, Kate Bike, And I'm Michelle LaRosa. We're produced and edited by me, Kate Bike, and Jonah McKeown. Special thanks this week to all of our guests on this episode. See you next week. Thank you.